Well, good morning, everybody. So good to worship with you, whether you're in the room or you're online. And I mean, what a morning we've already had when you start with Journey and you give away Bibles. It doesn't get much better than that. So, so glad to worship with you. Now, can you think of a time when you have been lost? You remember what that feels like, what kind of all the details surrounding it maybe were? You know, I think it is a little easier today to go day-to-day without being lost than it used to be. You know, I mean, we've got GPS on our phones. We've got navigation systems in our cars. I think it's very easy to get lost today like it used to be. But do you remember when you used to have to call someone to get directions to their house or to get directions to where you were going? Do you remember how some people were better at giving directions than others? You know, like some people would give you every single step just in the right order, and it was super easy to follow. And then there were those people that were very, uh, what would you say, they like to use images instead. You know, it's like take a left at the third tree, look for the black house, then go. And it was maybe a little harder to follow, and there was those times that maybe you got lost along the way. Well, you know, when I use my GPS, I like to argue with it because I think, you know, is this really the best way to get there? And so sometimes it says, you know, turn left here. And I think, no, I'm going to turn right and see what happens. And, you know, then at least it eventually says recalculating and then figures out where to go because it can be pretty difficult today to get lost. But I think when it comes to our relationship with God, it can be easy to get lost. It can be easy to get off track, to feel distant to feel disconnected. I think every one of us, no matter where we're at in our faith journey, can drift from time to time. And the prophet Isaiah talks about this in Isaiah 53. He says, we all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. Now that was true thousands of years ago, but it's also true for us today. It's easy to take the wrong path. It's easy to get lost, to get turned around. And oftentimes, I think what we do is we think, well, it's God who's gotten further away from us. But the truth we have to remember is God is always close. He's closer than we can imagine or even think. He's never the one who moves. We do. Now, also, I think with all that we're experiencing in our world today, It can especially be easy to be disconnected and to feel distant from God. We spent many months not being able to meet together as a church family, everybody worshiping online. And it was a privilege to be able to do that, but it can also lend a kind of a feeling of disconnection. I think we've all been under an incredible amount of stress, whether you've been doing home learning or whether you've been trying to figure out how to do your job in new circumstances, we all are under a lot of different stresses. Statistics say one in three Christians has stopped attending church at all. Also, I was reading this week about how the pandemic has actually reprogrammed our brains. That what we are experiencing right now is a trauma. And there's kind of two big things that our brain is affected by. It's grief and trauma, but trauma actually does some significant things to how we operate and how we think. When we experience trauma, our brain wants to be in control. And so we try to find anything and everything in our life that we can control. It kind of explains that weird thing that happened when the pandemic started where everybody went to buy toilet paper. Do you remember that? One of the reasons is it's one of the small things that we can have some control 
over. But think about what that means, that when our brain is craving control, it makes faith and it makes trust so much more difficult. Because when you have faith and when you have trust, it means giving up your control. And so during this time, I think if we're honest, probably all of us have had times of disconnection and distance from God. So I want you to think for a moment. Just be completely honest. You don't have to share it with anyone else. But where are you at today in your relationship with God? I think between all that are worshiping here in the room and also all the people watching online, I would imagine we have a very wide spectrum of people. You know, some of you might be saying, you know, I'm walking closely with God today just like I have for many years. There might be others of you that are thinking, you know, yeah, I've, I've become a little bit more distant. I feel disconnected. I wish I was closer to God. There might be others who are thinking, you know, I'm not sure I've ever really known him I'm not sure what it's like to be close. And there's others who are maybe even thinking, I'm not even sure he's real. I'm just kind of kicking the tires trying to figure this faith thing out. But I also believe almost every one of us would like to be close or closer to God today. But we might not know how to get there. We might not know what the right directions are. We might not know what first step to take. Now, many people have found their way back to God through the ministry of Calvary over the decades, for the 75 years that this church has been on this corner. And some people, as they've made their way back to God, have done so very quickly. Maybe it was a mountaintop experience at an alpha class or a discipleship group or a small group. There's others people that maybe have taken a lot more time. It's kind of a long and winding road finding their way back to God. But as we look at people's faith journeys, as we share our testimony, I think we see some commonalities in the road towards God in that relationship. It's kind of like mileposts when you're out on the highway. There's two pastors from Chicago named John and Dave Ferguson, and they wrote a book called Finding Your Way Back to God. And in this book, they identify five big awakenings that take place in almost every person who finds their way back into a dynamic relationship with God. And so that's what we're going to focus on during this series. So again, consider your story for a moment. Have you ever felt empty? Have you ever felt restless? Have you ever felt unfulfilled, unsatisfied, just puzzled by how you got to where you are today? Well, in the story, as we think about some of those feelings and we look at the awakenings that God wants to bring into our life, we're going to be camped out in a pretty familiar story for most of us. I think this is one of the greatest short stories that's ever been told. And it's a story that Jesus tells in Luke chapter 15, starting with verse 11. It's one of Jesus' parables. And you might remember that a parable is a story that Jesus tells to challenge us and also to help redirect our life. It's a story that compels action. It shows us how to live, what next steps to take. Now, Jesus loved to tell these stories that would capture his audience's attention, and it would cause them to lean in. Now, have you ever been in a movie before where you've been tempted to yell at the screen? 
You know, you see the people and they're doing something just stupid. Like, don't go in that house. Don't open that door. Don't go back there. You're going to be in trouble. Well, that's kind of how Jesus would tell his stories. His stories invited interaction and response from the audience. And some of those things we miss today when we don't look at all the context. And so since this is a familiar story, I want to tell the story to you instead of read it to you. And the story begins with a man who had two sons. And the youngest of the two sons comes and asks for his inheritance. And the first century audience would already be livid. I mean, this was disrespectful. This was rude. Who does this kid think he is? Because essentially what he was saying to his father was, Dad, I wish you were already dead so I could have my money right now. Could you speed up the process, please? The thing is, the father did precisely that. He liquidated his assets and he gave the son his inheritance early. Now the audience would be thinking, this is an all-time bad father. How could he do this? What a terrible parent. Well, the son grabs the money and he sets out. Now, the audience might first have been thinking, well, maybe this is going to be one of those really inspiring stories like where he starts a tech company in his garage and he invests the money in the right way and it's, you know, like a first century Microsoft. But then Jesus goes on to describe what happens. It says he set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. See, the son was thinking there's got to be more to life than this. And so he takes action and he sets out. And he's convinced that in order to find the meaning of life, in order to fulfill the longings that he has, he needs to leave home. He needs to get out of his present situation. And Jesus doesn't go into all the details of what goes on. It just says that he goes to this distant place and engages in wild living, which invites a lot of imagination, right? I know when I read this story, I've always thought, well, he must have bought a plane ticket to Las Vegas or to Amsterdam, right? I mean, you can probably fill in the blanks. What does it mean to have wild living? Probably some gambling, probably hitting the bars, probably lots of women. The list goes on and on. Well, eventually, this young son is completely broke. And not only that, Jesus says a famine sweeps across the land, which is a really bad combination to be in a famine and to be broke. And so he has to go and hire out as a servant. But not only that, Jesus gives a key detail. He says that his job is to feed the pigs. And now Jesus' audience would just be, they wouldn't even know what to think because this is the lowest of the low. A Jewish person would never interact with pigs. They were unclean. And Jesus also says that this young son has to eat the same thing that the pigs eat. I mean, this is rock bottom for sure, right? But it's also what leads to a key moment taking place, a key phrase. Jesus says, when he came to his senses, after all of these things took place, after he hits rock bottom, it's then that he starts to come to his senses I mean, he had been living under a delusion. He wasn't seeing things clearly. But now, he's coming to his senses. 
and he's going to start moving in the right direction. And you see, what Jesus is doing is he's pointing to a spiritual truth that he brings out many times throughout the Gospels. And this spiritual truth is not only for the first century audience, it's also for us. And it's this. You are most yourself when you are closest to God. You are most who God created you to be when you are closest to God, when you have that close relationship. And so this young son is thinking, my dad's servants live much better than I am. They always have enough to eat. They have a place to sleep. And he starts to realize he is most who he is created to be when he is close to his father. And so he decides to set out and go back home. And the audience is already thinking, well, what is his father going to do to him? His father probably already has a speech ready to go. I mean, even the best father would have some pretty harsh words, probably some harsh punishments. And so they start to imagine what the scene is going to look like. And so Jesus says, but when he was still a long way off, the father jumped up and ran to his son. Now notice what he says. When he was still a long way off, his father saw him, which means he's already waiting for him. He's been looking for him every day. He's out by the mailbox looking down the road. And not only that, when he sees his son on the horizon, it says he runs to meet him, which would be unheard of. Because imagine this very dignified, probably wealthy landowner wearing a first century robe. You don't run in a robe, right? What you do is you have to hike your robe up and try to run down the dirt and dusty road. Undignified, scandalous, a patriarch like him would never do such a thing. And before the son could apologize, the father wraps his arms around him and calls for three things. He says, get him a robe, get him a ring, get him some sandals. And the key part of those three things is the ring, because the ring symbolizes sonship. He's not going to be a servant or a slave. That ring shows his status and his value that he is a full-blown son. And the father doesn't stop there. He says, let's throw a huge party. Now, have you ever had a moment in your life when you've had questions, when you felt restless? You know, maybe it's happened multiple times where you've asked the questions, what am I doing with my life? Why am I in this place? Why am I here today? You ever had an overwhelming feeling? There's got to be something more. See, it's those deep longings, when they're awakened in our soul, it helps wake us up to who God created us to be. It's a common human experience to ask those big questions, to be searching for something more. We see it in so much of our popular music, books, and movies, when you heard it in the journey song at the beginning of the service, someone who's searching and dealing with emotions. You might remember the Rolling Stones song, you can't always get what you want, 
Or how about the U2 song? I still haven't found what I'm looking for. Can you identify with those lyrics? If you had those experiences. See, in Jesus' story, this young son has these deep longings, but he responds poorly. He decides to run away instead of toward where he is meant to be. Now, I think every one of us as human beings has some longings in common. Every one of us longs for love. Every one of us longs for love. There's a man named Glenn Wolf who holds the record for the most marriages in history. Now, what I want you to do is raise your hand. Everybody here, raise your hand and keep your hand raised until I get to the number you think is the record for marriages, all right? So all hands up. You can play along at home. All right, keep your hand up if you think he was married seven times, 10 times. You can put it down when you think it's too many. 13 times, 15 times, 17 times, 21 times, 25 times. 27 times, 28 times, 29, 30, 31, 32. All right, we went past it. So 29 times he was married. Can you believe that? 29 marriages. The longest one lasted seven years. The shortest one lasted 19 days. Now, I think one of the most interesting parts of the story is what this man did for a career. He was a Baptist pastor. 29 marriages. Why do you think he kept at it? But maybe the question is, why do we all keep at it? Relationships are hard, aren't they? Relationships can be full of hurt and pain and difficulty. Sometimes you experience breakups. Maybe you get dumped. Maybe you get divorced. Maybe you just experience hurt. But the thing is, deep down, we all still long for love. Deep inside of us is a longing to love and to be loved. Now, every one of us also longs for purpose. What did you want to be when you grew up, when you were five or six years old? Just think for a moment. Did you want to be a doctor, a teacher, construction worker, a pro athlete, a teacher? Really, the question should be, why do we dream about what we're going to do for a job when we're five or six years old? I mean, we don't need a paycheck, right? We don't have a mortgage. We don't have a car payment. I think it's because deep down within us is a longing for significance, for purpose, to make a difference in the world. Every one of us also longs for meaning. We want answers for the big why questions. Every one of us has experienced something that causes us to ask the question, why? God, why would you allow this to happen? Why is there so much pain in the world? Why am I here anyway? I think almost every person on earth today would look around and say, you know, things are not the way they should be. Why is there so much pain and hurt? Why is the world not fair or just or right? The thing is, those are all feelings that God has put within us. And it's actually the same feelings that he has about what's going on in our world. We are all hardwired by God to have these longings. 
The problem isn't that we have longings. The problem is that we try and satisfy our longings apart from God. That young son in Jesus' parable, when he's faced with his longings, it caused him to run far, far away. See, these longings can either draw you in or they can push you away. When we wake up to these longings in our soul, they can be the beginning of a journey back to God. Now, you probably remember there was one more son in the story, right? This older brother hears all of the celebrating, the music, and the dancing, and it's not normal at all. So he has to ask someone, what's going on? And they say, your brother is home. And not only that, your father is throwing an epic party, and he's barbecuing the choicest calf that we've been saving for the holidays. And the older brother flies into a rage. How could he do this for him? He doesn't deserve a party. Where's my party? But have you ever felt the same way before? God, how could you do that for them? They don't deserve it. I deserve it. So the older brother refuses to go to the party. But notice what Jesus says in verse 28. It says, so his father went out. Don't miss that. Because again, it shows us that the father is pursuing and seeking all of his children. You see, really, this is a story of you and your heavenly father. And you can be on either side of the spectrum. Both of the sons are actually distant from the father. Not necessarily in proximity, but in spirit. Both of them are longing for something more. And they're not finding it in the right place. The older son, who many of us who grew up in the church can probably relate to better than the younger son, is saying, I deserve it. And the father is saying, but you don't get it. Everything I have is already yours and I wonder if the older brother is thinking, yeah, well, if that's true, then you're using all my stuff to throw a party for him. And the older brother is just as lost as the younger brother. They both equally need grace and love from the father. So maybe some of you can better relate to the younger brother. Maybe you've been searching Maybe you've been asking questions. Maybe you're close to hitting rock bottom. Maybe you're already there. And what you need to know today is that you have a heavenly father who waits for you to come home and who runs after you when you do. Maybe some of you better relate to the older brother. You feel like you've already earned God's favor that you deserve a reward. I mean, look at your perfect attendance. Look at all that you've done for the church. And God is telling you today, this isn't about earning. It's a free gift that I've already offered to you. Just turn around. Surrender. Give up your control. Come back to me. See, no matter where we're at, just like that younger brother, we all need to come to our senses and realize that what we truly need is God's grace and his presence. I don't deserve it. You don't deserve it. But it is what we truly long for. 
What if you would awaken to your longings today? These longings that God has put deep within us, a longing for love, purpose, meaning, significance. And what if we realize that they won't be satisfied running away from God? They'll only be satisfied when we run to him. You know, I think that's what I hope and pray that we are all about as a church, that we are a church that is sold out helping people find their way back to God. It's why it's so important for us to stay focused on our mission to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. It's why it's so important that every one of us be a part of investing into others and inviting others to come and see. It's why we want to be a place where you can belong before you believe. A place where you can come and be honest about your doubts and your regrets and your fears and your longings. There was a brilliant mathematician that lived years ago named Blaise Pascal. Now, he grew up knowing about God, but he didn't actually know God. And later in his life, he experienced a real relationship with God, and he was on fire for his faith. And he wanted to lead his friends into that same relationship with God. He was also a brilliant mind, and so he came up with what a wager where he would challenge people to make a bet that there is actually a God who loves them. And his contention was, if you're right, if you make that wager and you believe that there's a God and you put your faith in him, if you're right, you have everything to gain. And if you're wrong, you have nothing to gain. But if he's real and you don't make that wager, then you have everything to lose. And so what I want to invite you to do over the next 30 days as we are in this series is to pray a simple prayer inspired by Pascal. A simple prayer each and every day. Just pray, God, if you are real, make yourself real to me. God, if you are real, make yourself real to me. Now, this is wherever you're at in your spiritual journey because it's an invitation to refresh and renew your relationship with God. It's also an invitation to take your very first step towards him. I believe if you pray that prayer each day, God will show up in your life. Because remember, he's closer than you even imagine You'll notice things in a new way. You will have God moments where he'll show up. You'll have moments of awakening wherever you go. Now, the greatest reminder of God's character and his heart for you is the cross. It's the cross where God meets us in our weakness, in our sinfulness, in our brokenness, in our insecurity, it's where he drew incredibly close to us coming into our world. And it's where he came to pursue us to the very end. I mean, remember, back to that story that Jesus told, the father doesn't sit in his office just waiting to chastise the son. He doesn't sit in the living room completely disconnected. He's out by the mailbox, keeping his eyes on the road waiting for his lost son to return. 
And when he sees the sun coming down the road, he runs to wrap his arms around him. And that's your story. And that's mine. So I hope you'll join us next week as we talk about the next step in finding your way back to God. I want to ask you to invite a friend to come with you or to tune in online and make sure you're connected in a small group as we go through this series together. Will you pray with me? God, we're so thankful for this incredible image of who you are, that you are a gracious and loving Father who waits by the mailbox so that when we take a step towards you, you run to us. God, you know that we are facing a challenging time with lots of stresses and questions, and it's so easy for us to feel distant and disconnected. And so, God, my prayer for every person here is that they would take a step of faith towards you today and that you would show up in an amazing way in their, in their life this week. God, help us to see you move. Help us to see your grace and your love all around us. God, we know we don't deserve it. And so we thank and praise you for your amazing grace and love that you showed to us in sending Jesus to die for us. And so God, we ask that you bless this series as we talk about finding our way back to you, which is where we were meant to be in the first place. God, we pray this in the powerful name of your son, Jesus. And let's all say together, amen.